You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Tar, which came out in 2022. It was directed by Todd Field. It stars Kate Blanchett, Nina Haas, Nomi Merlant, Sophie Kaur, Mila Bogojevich, Alan Cordiner, Julian Glover, and Mark Strong. The genre would be psychological drama. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. We have a problem. I received another weird email. There's no reason to get caught up in any intrigue. I'm worried. She's starting to disappear into herself. You want to dance the mask? You must service the composer. You've got to supplement yourself. Your ego and, yes, your identity. You must, in fact, stand in front of the public and God and obliterate yourself. I think I really liked this movie. For its entire 160-minute runtime, I found myself very engrossed with the life of Lydia Tarr and her exhaustive life as a top-flight composer-slash-conductor. We delve into her world, which is mostly in Berlin, with much time also spent in New York City, from the get-go, with a lot of discussion of musical composition, which often went above my head, but was no less compelling to hear spoken. Lydia, could we talk a little bit about uh, translation? Mm -hmm. Because I think there are still people who think of the conductor as a kind of human metronome. Well... That's 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 partly true. Yeah, but but the keeping time, it's 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 no small thing. But I suspect there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, well, I, I would hope so. Yes, but time is the thing. Uh-huh. Time is is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. You know, my left hand it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real time, making the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. And of course, it helps to have Miss Blanchett delivering this dialogue in such a confident manner with her patrician American accent in full effect. Lydia Tarr is often surrounded by sycophants, students, protégés, and upper-crust elites, the latter of which are always expecting to be impressed by her. And this is where the story derives much of its tension. Lydia is hyper-focused on maintaining a certain image, but can also never seem to help herself when it comes to aggressively pushing others down who question her or threaten that image. You play really well, but nowadays, white male cis composers, just not my thing. Don't be so eager to be offended. The narcissism of small differences leads to the most boring conformity. Everything she says or does has a distinct purpose. She composes, she leads, she orchestrates. That's her entire purpose. 
Of course, she can't often predict the aftereffects of her actions and how reactions can mutate under the lens of social media, which is how things begin to get dark for her. By the halfway point of Todd Field's disquieting opus, it appears that she might be inadvertently orchestrating her own destruction. It's just, it's just something I pay for. Then why does he believe it's the board? Because he needs to believe that. He needs to, he needs to believe he hasn't been forgotten, Britta. Kate Blanchett is not going for likable nor relatable with this performance. And as director, Field really never lets her off the hook with the way that she's framed or shot either. It has been 16 years since Todd Field last directed Little Children. There are several shots where Blanchett, as beautiful as she is, is made to look quite severe, especially when she's conducting on stage. With those two films, plus In the Bedroom, Todd Field clearly maintains an effective cold vibe throughout, which serves each story. Though as with Little Children, which I recall having a tangential ending which didn't quite land for me, I'm not sure that the third act for this film completely worked for me either. And therein lies the rub. You could make a strong case that the final 40 minutes of Tar are by far the most entertaining. I mean, Field, who also wrote the screenplay, he takes some wild swings here. But much of what transpires just feels too broad for the delicately written two hours which preceded it. And I'm pretty torn about that final 15 minutes, which makes its point, but unlike the rest of the movie which leads to it, it feels as if the director took some easy visual shortcuts to make his point. It just feels a bit lazy, which leads me to a final shot that I just found even more confounding. Overall, Todd Field still wrote and directed a true original that's unlike any other movie I have seen in years, and it succeeds for the most part. Once you board this ship, there's no turning back. The next ground your feet touch will be that of the new world. If any of you have lost your nerve, then step away now and let no one judge you. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. Definitely this film. Amazingly, Blanchett herself actually did conduct some sessions during the filming of the movie, including a few featuring the work of her character's favorite composer, Gustav Mahler. Mahler was, of course, a renowned German composer who performed most of his work during the 19th century before passing away in 1911. He was considered one of the leading composers of his generation, and we keep returning to his work again and again during several rehearsal and performance sequences throughout the movie. Most notably, one later in the film, which I will dare not spoil. We see just how much this music brings out both the best and the worst in our central character. One composition that we hear memorable snippets of during these scenes is Mahler's Fifth Symphony, especially a brass-filled introduction, which really does bring the house down. With a strong assist from Lydia, of course. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. 
Since this film hit the festival circuit last year, it has received enormous acclaim and awards attention, mostly focusing on its star, Kate Blanchett, who is likely the current frontrunner to win the Oscar for Best Actress this March. And no doubt, this is a showcase performance for Blanchett, and she's one of our greatest living actors right now. She deserves all the praise. However, lost amidst much of the hype are notices for anyone else from the cast, who are all strong across the board, including Nomi Merlant, who plays Lydia's put-upon assistant Francesca, and Sophie Cow, who plays Olga, the hottest new cello prodigy in her orchestra, and the new sorta object of Lydia Tarr's affection. And yet, even more deserving of acclaim and awards attention is actually Nina Haas, with probably the second most prominent role in the film. She plays Sharon, who is Lydia's long-suffering live-in partner. They have been together many years in Berlin, also living with Sharon's adopted daughter, Petra. Nina Haas has a very tricky role in that she is often silently reacting to Lydia's behavior, whether at their large apartment or during the rehearsals as she is one of the lead violinists of her orchestra. In essence, Sharon is the true heart of the movie, as she's more open with her emotions than Lydia. She even effectively delivers the most biting line of dialogue to Lydia late in the movie when she briskly summarizes the type of person that she really is. It's a great moment for her among several others, and it's hard not to feel for her character Sharon. Nina Haas is a German actress who's been at it for more than 20 years and has recently begun to take on more English-speaking roles. Me personally, I know her best for a prominent role, which she recently had on the Showtime spy series Homeland. She has quite a strong presence and can clearly hold her own against showier performances, including Blanchett here and Claire Danes' wild turn for Homeland. Now, the competition for the Best Supporting Actress this year is very strong, with Angela Bassett the likely frontrunner, but I still believe that Haas was at least deserving of a nomination. tried calling you on your mobile last night. Mm. And again at the hotel. Must have been asleep. Which brings me to the next category, the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, I was actually leery of spoiling this particular moment in the movie, but I just saw that it's now actually being shared online as the latest TV spot for this movie. So the jig is up, so to speak. This sequence pretty much sets the wild third act of this movie into overdrive. Allow me to set the scene as we are just over two hours into the movie. Lydia is currently crashing in her secondary apartment in Berlin and has been practicing the piano, doing some composing. Her world is already crumbling, but there's a sudden knock at the door. It's a middle-aged couple whom she doesn't recognize. Apparently, their elderly sick mother was the one who died earlier in a previous unsettling scene, one of her neighbors, along with her sister who was taking care of her. Lydia expresses her condolences, and they briefly ask about the music that they were hearing from her place. She takes this as a compliment, and she starts to close the door, says thank you. But then, one of them asks her if there are times that they can show their mother's apartment when there will be no noise coming from her place. (laughs) Yeah. Lydia is taken aback and starts laughing. Yep, this is the last straw. And what follows from Lydia in the next scene is a true pivot point for the movie tonally. I'm still kind of personally torn as to whether this scene works for the movie overall, You could even make a case that this scene is when the movie starts to go off the rails, if you felt it did. But one thing that I can be sure of is that Blanchett nails it. It's funny, it's memorable, it's memeable, and it's undoubtedly the best on-screen usage of an accordion ever. And yes, considering that this is just a few months removed from that Weird Al biopic, that's not faint praise.
And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. At the end of the day, of course, this is still Kate Blanchett's movie. It's her bravura performance, which carries it through some challenging scenes, verbose exchanges, and some of those wild narrative swings taken during the final third. Like I said, she's not particularly sympathetic, but she still commands the screen, even with a good amount of dialogue, which honestly went above my head. This is just the latest in a long line of fantastic performances, which the Australian actress has delivered since breaking out in the late 90s with her starring Oscar-nominated role as Queen Elizabeth in the historical epic Elizabeth. From there, she delivered such an extensive variety of performances, from her memorable turn as Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, to playing real-life figures like her Oscar-winning turn as Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator, or Bob Dylan in I'm Not There. Yeah. To romantic co-leads in comedies like The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou or Pushing Tin. To even menacing action villains in movies like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Or the underrated Hannah. There is nothing that she can't do. And she pulls off this idiosyncratic individual so convincingly that many first-time viewers upon early release last year had the impression that Lydia Tarr was actually a real person. Of course, Todd Field deserves enormous props for first creating this character on the page, with Blanchett in mind. Though the MVP has to be Kate Blanchett for delivering what might be her best overall career performance. Of course, siloing what is acceptable or not acceptable is a basic construct of many, if not most, symphony orchestras today who see it as their imperial right to curate for the Cretans. So slippery as it is, there is some merit in examining Max's allergy. Can classical music written by a bunch of straight Austro-German church-going white guys exalt us individually as, as, as well as collectively? And who, may I ask, gets to decide that? My rating for Tar would be four and a quarter stars out of five. Overall, this film has quite a bit to say about art, commerce, sexual politics, and as many right-wingers, red pill folks have been quick to point out online, cancel culture. Though I do not think that Field is making the clear-cut statement which they think he's making about it, or wokeness. It's a very strong film, though I'm not sure if it all gels together to be the unqualified masterpiece that many are praising it to be. Still, if you're looking for a true original, check it out. And if you're looking to watch Tar, it's currently streaming on Peacock. And that ends another metronomic review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.